Well, good morning. I and Sam and everybody else who has decided to join us on this run, training thing, are one week in and we can still move. So, you know, it's good right there. Uh, this week we ran a total of 12 miles. Next week will be a total of 13. It's not too late for you to join and go on these runs with us. You can run on your own, but to be a part of this fun, energetic community that we are developing here. Um, so yeah, you are more than welcome to join. Uh, like I said, we're one week in. I'm pretty much a pro at running. So if you're like, yeah, I just don't really know. Do I have it in me? I'm going to give you four tips on how to be a better runner this morning. And, and these are scientifically proven. Four steps on how to improve your ability to run. Step number one, eat as much sugar as you can before the run. Scientific, scientific, sorry, <laughs> scientifically proven sugar gives you energy and you need energy to be able to run. So donuts, candy bars, cookies, cake, cupcakes, pie, if you can put it in your system, go for it. It'll give you the energy to be able to run. Step number two, whatever pair of shoes you have, throw them on, but I would say the dressier, the better, because if you look good, you'll run good. Scientifically proven. Step number three, the heavier clothing, the better you'll be able to run. I mean, just think about this on cars. You want to do a warm-up lap. You got to get that engine warmed up. And so if you can throw on like five coats, a couple pairs of sweats, like if you can just break a sweat sitting there in sub-zero temperature, you're prime to go. But it doesn't have to be cold. It can be warm. The warmer your body can get, the more clothing you can wear, the better you'll run. Cars do it. Again, it's science. Step number four, maybe even beyond that, Throw on some wrist weights, some ankle weights, maybe throw on a backpack with extra weight because just think of a rock. The heavier the rock, you start rolling it downhill, it gets that momentum, it's going to roll faster. The more weight you can put on your body, the further you're going to run because your momentum is going to carry you. It's science. I think it's one of the laws of nature or science, Isaac Newton. He was way smarter than me, but I think it backs it up. Follow those four plans. I'm telling you, not just a half marathon. You could run a full marathon if you stack them one on top of each other. Now, I know we don't have a room full of runners in here, but you can look at that and be like, that is obviously not how you run a marathon or a half marathon or even a mile. Because those four, one by, by itself, four of them stacked on top of each other, is gonna bring you down. Because here's the thing, if your goal is to run far, you gotta prepare for it. You've got to take the steps necessary to get ready to run a distance. Same thing with the Christian life. If your goal is to persevere in the Christian faith, You've got to train for it. You've got to prepare for it. You have got to take the necessary steps to be able to go the distance. Because that's what we're talking about this morning. As we look at Hebrews chapter 12, and the author has been telling us in chapter 11, he said, you have this crowd of witnesses that are just cheering you on. They're saying, keep going. 
But now he's saying it's on you, that you have a role to play in persevering. And he gives us three steps for actually persevering in the Christian faith. He tells us to throw off. He tells us to put on. And then lastly, he says, you got to walk on. And so if you'll stand, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses. We're going to work our way through the whole chapter, but we'll just read the first two verses to start out, and then we'll open in prayer. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father God, we thank you so much. God, just first off for Jesus as the example of how to persevere. And God, I just pray that as we open up uh, your word and dive deeper into what your word tells us, God, may we put on perseverance. May we throw off whatever entangles us. And God, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we take the words that you are saying today to us and apply it to our life. So that God, not only can we just struggle through this life, but we can run and run it well. God, may you be glorified not only in this time, but in all of our lives. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. And so as we've gone through this series, uh, we're, we're comparing it to this half marathon. I mean, technically it's a marathon, but it's this long run that you got to get ready to be in it for the long haul. I mean, that's kind of how we started it out, by saying that because Jesus is better, you push on. You don't quit when things get hard, but you push through, you strive, you continue to make yourself better. And now we're having this transition where the author is telling us, this is how you run the race. And he says, first off, throw off. He says, let us throw off everything that entangles us and the sin which holds so closely to us. He says, not only are you getting rid of sin, but there's even things in your life that's not technically a sin, but it's going to hold you back from running well. It's going to get in the way. They're good things, but ultimately when a good thing becomes an ultimate, ultimate thing, that good thing has become a bad thing. Like your family. When you say, it is all about my family, I'm going to put all of my energy into my family, and we no longer have time to do the work of God, then a family is a good thing. But it's now become an ultimate thing, and it's now become a bad thing. Your career, God has told us to work. It's a good thing to have a job. But when you say, it's all about the almighty dollar, I'm going to put all my energy into this, and I'm going to forget about my family, forget about the work of Christ— then a good, that good thing, again, that good thing has become an ultimate thing. And ultimately, that good thing has become a bad thing now. And so there are things that are not necessarily sins, but they hold us back from pursuing after God. And we are told by the author, get rid of that. If it is keeping you from pursuing Christ, if it is keeping you from giving him everything, we're told to throw it off, to get rid of it. 
Jesus goes so far to say, cut it off in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to go into heaven without one arm than to have two arms and be cast into hell. He says, if your right eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. He's saying, if there is anything in this life that is holding you back from seeking after him, from running this race with perseverance, he says, get rid of it. Like, cast it off. Because it is better to pursue him without these things than to pursue these things and miss out on him. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and they don't hate their father, their mother, their wife, their children, their brother, their sister, yes, even their own life, then he cannot be my disciple. That we are to put none of these things above Jesus, but that we are supposed to pursue him and him alone. That he is to be the reason that we live. That we don't make an idol out of our family, out of our job, out of money, out of anything like that, but we put Jesus and God number one in our life. And we're told to throw everything else off. So what is it in your life that is hindering you from running the race that God has set before you? What is it in your life that is there that is like, man, this, if I didn't have this, if I didn't have TV, if I didn't have a smartphone, if I didn't have internet, if I didn't have social media, if I didn't have whatever it is, what is it in your life that you can say, if I didn't have that, I could do the will of God a whole lot better but yet it holds so tightly to you. I got this backpack that Sam mentioned, and we'll see if I can pick it up. And it's got weight in it. Imagine running with this. It's got 60 pounds. I had 160 pounds in here, and I couldn't move it. It was like, ugh, gonna strain myself. But imagine if you had this, and you were carrying this, and this is what people carry in their life a lot. I mean, imagine carrying guilt with you everywhere you went. Guilt for things you've done in the past. You know, we all do it. Man, can God really forgive me for what I did? I can't believe I had that thought. I can't believe I acted on that impulse. I can't believe that I was so dumb that I would blatantly go against God's word and then we carry guilt with us. If people really knew what I did, they wouldn't love me. If God really knew what I did, he wouldn't actually forgive me. God knows what you've done. He knows the very secrets of your heart that we always pray, oh God, never let that be known. And yet he loves you. But still, we're carrying guilt. And so we think God could never really use me because of the things that have happened in my past. Maybe it's pride. Nobody likes to admit this, but maybe you're carrying a lot of pride. Well, of course God would use me. I'm amazing. I'm king of the world. I can do all these things. Look at all these people that love me. But with pride, we think, mm, those people below me, I don't have time for them because I'm something special. And pride isn't even thinking I'm something special. Pride could even be selfishness where it's all about you. If I don't get my way, I'm gone. I'm not helping anymore. Maybe it's pride. Maybe a big one is addiction. 
And we're not just talking the big addictions of like addiction to pornography or alcohol or drugs, but addiction to your phone, addiction to television, addiction to your own desires, addiction to whatever it is that when we said, what is it that is holding you back from doing the will of God? And you're like, well, it's probably this, but there's no way on earth I'm getting rid of that. That's what you're addicted to. That's an idol that you're putting above God. Maybe it's anger. Oh boy, my dog knows all about this. Anger. That you are like, man, I don't have an anger problem, and then you get licked in the face one too many times, and you unload on that beast. Maybe it's not your dog. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe there is something in your life that makes you so angry that you're like, I'm not even going to deal with that. I'm going to leave. I'm not, I'm not going to go near there, and I'm going to allow my anger to keep me from doing the will of God. Or I'm going to allow my anger to affect how society views me. It's going to ruin my name because I'm just so angry all the time. Maybe this is a big one. Lust. Maybe you do. I mean, 90% of men in the world struggle with pornography. 60% of men in the church struggle with pornography. And it's not just men, women too. The average age of looking at pornography for the first time, eight years old because of smartphones and all that. But Jesus doesn't say that if you just look at somebody or even if you just act on it, because a lot of people are like, well, I've never slept around, so I don't have a lust problem. But you're controlled by the desires of your body. You're letting your body control you. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 1 and 2 where he says that we used to be carried away and we were following the desires of our mind and our body. Where we just let, if it feels good, I'm going to do it. And Jesus says if you look at somebody lustfully, you have committed adultery. Maybe it's laziness. Nobody likes to talk about this one being a sin. But maybe it's the fact that you just think, I have put in a long day's work, so it is okay for me to go home and do absolutely nothing every single night. Where God is telling you, be in my word. Spend time in prayer with me. Wake up a little bit earlier, and let's grow in our walk together. Maybe it's whatever it is, bag's empty. There's so many more things that you could apply to your life that it's like that is what is keeping me from seeking after God. And not all are sin, but the writer of Hebrews says, throw off the weight that holds us back. Anything that is keeping you from running after the race is holding you, that is holding you back, we are told to throw it off because we are called to prepare ourselves. That means we control what goes into our body, what goes into our mind, what goes into our heart. This week, the shortest run that we did was two miles. And I mean, that sounds really long, but then compared to 274, sounds pretty, pretty short. But it was the shortest run of the week for us, but it was also the hardest run of the week for me because right before I ate a bowl of chili. And so as I'm running that two miles, it's just like, oh my goodness, like this is tearing up my inside and it is ripping me apart. 
So often we think, well, I can run the lo this long-distance run of the Christian faith, but I'm going to put negativity into my life. I'm going to read all this bad junk. I'm going to, Psalm 119 says, do not let my eyes look upon worthless things. And yet so often we look upon worthless things. And we are feeding ourselves spiritual garbage. And we're not able to run the long distance. We're not throwing off. Because we were just told we got this cloud of witnesses surrounding us and they are cheering us on. And we are being told, go, keep on running, keep on racing. But so often we don't do the second part. We don't do what we're told in Galatians 6-2. Bear one another's burdens. You see, this is something that the Pharisees were really good at and that the church can become really good at. So imagine that the backpack is your life and the church can become really good at, hey, you're not doing everything I think you should be doing. So come on, meet my standard. Get up there. Hey, I saw what you did the other night. Let's throw a little bit of guilt on there, you dummy. Hey, why are you behaving that way? Don't you know God doesn't really love you if you do that? And we constantly fill people's bags with this weight, and then they're being told, run with this. And that's not what God told us. God told us to bear their burden, not add to the burden. Not throw extra things on them. Hurt my back. Uh, Matthew chapter 23. Jesus has harsh words to the Pharisees. And he says, Woe to the scribes and Pharisees, for they sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but they don't do the works that they, but don't do the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, they're hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they maintain, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They'll sit back and look at people and say, those people aren't measuring up, but they don't do anything themselves. And I'm not saying we are Pharisees, but I'm saying it is easy to start falling into that tendency to where we look at other people. Well, they're not doing what I'm doing. Well, they're not living the life that I think they should be living instead of calling them to live the life that God is calling them to live. Instead of sharing the gospel with them, helping them bear their burdens. Jesus, he says in Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Romans tells us, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Not back into a burden of slavery, but you are set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And then Romans eight thirty seven. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors 
through Christ who loved us. There is no condemnation. So when you're carrying that guilt around, you remind yourself there is no condemnation. When people try and pull up things from your past, well, God could never use you because of what you've done in the past, because of whatever circumstance. No. Read Ephesians 1 through 2. We're going to do a series on it in a couple weeks where it's talking about our identity and who God tells us we are. Not what the world tells us, but who God tells us we are. There is no condemnation. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So we throw off anything that is holding us back, and then we put on perseverance. It tells us in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of, cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and then let us run with endurance. Put on endurance. Put on perseverance. You see, this past week we ran, and as I honestly, day number one, Monday, we ran three miles. And as I'm running around the ball fields, it's six laps if you're wondering. Six times I had to run around the baseball fields. It got so boring. And as I'm running, I'm sitting there and I'm like, why in the world am I doing this? My body hurts. My lungs are screaming for oxygen. It's cold. I'm bored. There are so many better things I could be doing, like laying on the couch. Why is it that I am doing this? And then as I was running, it hit me. Because I'm learning to persevere. Because I am learning to push through that mental weakness. And I'm learning to push on, to strive on. Because it hit me, overcoming the difficult with my body helps me overcome the spiritually difficult. That when my body, this is, this is the way I'm wired. When I feel good physically, I feel good spiritually. And I know it's not all based on feeling. But when I'm doing the physical disciplines, the spiritual disciplines come so much easier to me. When I feel lethargic, when I feel like I have no energy, I don't want to read. I don't want to pray. I don't want to go out and do things. I want to sit back and just lay down and do nothing. But when I have energy, when I push through, it helps me so much. And Paul tells Timothy this. He says, train yourself for godliness. He says, bodily training, it has value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise not only for this life, but also for the life to come. So often, Paul uses the physical training to relate to the spiritual training because there is a correlation between the two. 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Instead, I discipline. Notice he says, I discipline my body. Because there is a correlation between the physical and the spiritual. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We're told to put on perseverance. 
because there's going to come a time where you're going to hit a wall, where you're going to say, I really don't want to do this. I really, it's just hard. It's difficult, man. Everybody's deserting me. And we're told, keep running the race. Don't give up. Put on perseverance so that at the first moment of difficulty, you don't quit. Jesus continued on in Luke 14. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, saying, this man otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man sat down to build and was not able to finish. And so Jesus is even saying, consider the cost. Before you start running the race, think about how far are you willing to go? What's your end line? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll run one mile, but Jesus, anything beyond that, I'm not doing. You know, I'll, 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 I'll attend church, but anything beyond that, mm-mm, I'm not doing. Well, I'll give 10%, but anything beyond that, I'm not giving. Well, I'll serve in this aspect only, but anything beyond that, don't ask me. I'll give five minutes of my day, but nothing more. Jesus says, consider the cost. What person starts to run a race and says, you know what, I'm going to run a marathon, and then they make it 100 yards and they say, "Woohoo! this is just too hard, I'm bowing out. Everybody else is going to be like, man, you did not prepare for this. You did not get your mind wrapped around the difficulty. He says, we train ourselves for it. And I believe that's why the author goes on into verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 12, where he says, God is training you. When you experience difficulties, there's sometimes that difficulties come just because we live in a fallen, sinful world. But there are other times where God is training you. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. I don't think it necessarily means discipline as in God is so angry at you, but more, I discipline my body so that I can be better. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Okay, take back what I just said about not discipline. It is discipline. If you were left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us when we fell short for a short time. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So sometimes when we go through difficulties, it's because God is trying to get us to push on. I mean, think about fathers who see their kids struggling and sometimes their father is like, they need to go through this because it's gonna make them better. If I did everything for them, they would never learn. They would never grow. And God is training us and growing us. I mean, look at the military. 
they have what's called boot camp. And then even like in the uh, special forces, they have this term, their term, hell week, in which it is just miserable, like little sleep. And the reason they're letting them go through that is because they want to push the mind further than the body. Because your mind is going to quit way before your body will quit. You got to learn to push through. And so we put on perseverance. There are times that God is training you for your good. And that is why when we put on perseverance, our last point is we have to lock on to Jesus. If you don't know why you're running, if you don't know why you're persevering, you're going to fall short. You're going to quit. If you start looking around at everything, you're going to deter and defer to the sides. We are told in verse, three, verse 2, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then we're told to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When you look at Jesus, and you look at what Jesus went through, you consider it, you lock on. So when difficulties come, it's like, man, the writer later says, you're not even to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus got there, and he pushed through it for a joy that was beyond the cross. There is a joy that is beyond our difficult circumstances. So we lock on to Jesus. Runners, when they're running, they're not looking around. They're not enjoying the scenery very often, but instead they're looking straight ahead. They're seeing what's ahead of them, and they say, there is a goal at the end of this, and I'm going to push on for that goal. Brothers and sisters, there is a goal at the end of this life. There is a king who has called us to a calling, so we fix our eyes on Jesus. Notice it says, we fix our eyes. We take control. We are the ones that control our thoughts. We're the ones that control our actions. We don't control, or we are not controlled by them. When you realize the goal, you start training for it. If you realize that you're going to have to run 274 miles in the next five months, you realize, I don't have time for donuts because that's going to set me back. When you realize that your goal is to live a life of purity, to glorify your Father, you say, I don't have time for all this spiritual garbage, all this junk, this weight, and this sin that clings so tightly to me. Instead, I'm going to run the race with endurance, running with perseverance. The physical carries over to the spiritual. So what do you do? when you don't want to read. I mean, we've all had that point. Alarm clock goes off in the morning, I really don't want to wake up. Snooze. You know, ah, I overslept. I meant to be in God's Word, but now I'm running five minutes late for work. Not going to read. What do you do when that time to, to, to carry out the spiritual disciplines come? When you don't want to read, you push on. You say, I got to get up. 
or I'm going to stay up a little bit later, or I'm going to shut off the TV, or I'm going to free up some time so that I can invest in these things that are actually important, not these perishable wreaths, but the eternal glory that comes from Christ Jesus. We train our body so that our spiritual can follow. Again, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but instead I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. When it hurts, we dig in. To the strength that is within us, Paul says in Ephesians, he prays this prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. There's a strength within us that we dig into, because Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, that God told him when he said, God, I can't go through this anymore. Please remove this thorn. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may, be rest, may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I totally depend on Jesus, that's when I'm able to push through. And so if you want to run the race with perseverance, you got to throw off everything that entangles you. You put on perseverance and you fix your eyes on Jesus, not looking to the left or to the right, but focusing on him. And lastly, the reason, if the reason that we do all this, the reason that we persevere is because we have an eternal glory. Hebrews, the end of our chapter, chapter 12, verse 18. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heavens beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. This is the old covenant. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. And then in verse 28, 28, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is why we persevere. Because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Father God, 
We thank you for the calling that you have laid on our life. But God, so often there are difficulties that come our way. You tell us in this world we will have trouble. But also take heart, for you have overcome this world. And God, there is going to be a day that you call us all home. And until that day comes, may we persevere, may we push on. And God, as a body of believers, may we bear one another's burdens, encouraging one another all the more as we see that day drawing near. God, work in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.